Welcome to the Footprint Plus 2023 podcast series. Timber in Social Housing, brought to you in association with Mikhail Riches. Right, just wait for a few people to sit down. Thank you for joining us today um, for this session on Timber in Social Housing. We have an experienced panel here today um, who will be sharing some great projects uh, and systems that all aim to reduce carbon in the built environment through using structural timber. Just a quick introduction to myself. My name's Sophie Cole. I'm a senior architect at Mikhail Ritchie's Architects. Mikhail Ritchie's has quite a good experience in using timber frame for housing and specifically in the social and affordable sector. Behind me, I've got a sort of timeline of a few projects which have all used timber frame starting with Clayfields that started in 2005, which was 26 homes, uh, 100% social rent, onto Goldsmith Street, finished in 2019, about 105 homes, 100% social rent, Passive House certified, and went on to win the Sterling Prize. Then followed by Croydon in London with Brick by Brick, up to four storeys, timber frame of mixed tenure, and we're currently working with the city of York, which you will hear more about later, so I won't say anything more about that. So the format today, we've got three speakers. They'll come and present one after each other. I'll do my best to multitask and listen to the presentations, but please send questions in on the Footprint app. I think you can photograph this QR code here, um, but also just find our session on the app. But failing that, if you've got questions at the end that we can get round to, just put your hand up um, and we'll do it that way. So hopefully the session today uh, will help answer why we should be building in timber and how we encourage its use across the social and affordable sector. I'll quickly introduce our speakers today. We'll start with Michael Jones. And I think I have to introduce Michael as one of Mikhail Ritchie's favorite clients, and I say one of because I can see a couple of faces in the audience, <laughs> following an early career in planning and project management for Joseph Rowntree Foundation, Michael is currently the head of, the housing, of, head of housing delivery and asset management at the City of York Council. Mikhail Ritchie's really know him for his previous role at the City of York, where he was head of housing delivery program where he was in charge of setting up what I would say is one of the most environmentally ambitious council-led housing programs in the UK. And he'll be talking through a couple of those projects in a minute. Followed by Michael, we have Tom in the middle there. Tom has recently completed a, a role as senior development manager at, the, at Bristol City Council, overseeing a team delivering new social housing commissioned directly by the council. Their aim is to deliver about 300 homes a year on sites across the city, commissioning teams directly and also working with developers to help deliver affordable housing contributions. Tom previously to that worked at Walthisserton Architects for 11 years where he specialised in delivering housing and commercial buildings utilising timber structures. Tom will go through some of the Bristol projects today, how they utilise different timber structures of various kinds and discuss what the future might hold there for increased adoption. And then finally, we've got Simon Horn, Technical Development Manager at Donaldson Timber. They've got a little stand over there. Simon has over 35 years experience working in architectural practice, national house builder architectural teams, and specialist timber frame manufacturing companies. He's dedicated to pushing the use of timber in housing, 
and today will talk us through the environmental benefits of using timber, both in the reduction of operational embodied carbon and show us a few recent projects. So, Michael, do you want to take? Thank you for the warm welcome, Sophie. Lovely to be here. So yeah, my name's Michael Jones. I lead the housing delivery program for the City of York Council. Um, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about our journey to delivering um, passive house, net zero carbon houses in the city, um, utilizing timber frame. So the program has got five overarching objectives around meeting housing need, delivering homes which are healthy, delivering projects which are community focused, supporting wider sustainability through transport choice, and perhaps most relevant today is our ambition to reduce energy bills, tackle fuel poverty, and reduce the impact on the environment from our projects. So we've committed to delivering certified passive house homes across the city on multiple sites, um, and each project is net zero carbon in operation. So each um, development will generate the energy required to power, to light, to heat those homes on an annual basis. We took the decision to measure embodied carbon and to use those embodied carbon measurements to actively make um, positive sustainable choices through both the design and the development and delivery stages, which led us to utilizing a panelized timber frame system this is probably a bit small to see, um, but it's a, a basic summarized rag rating of where we came to choosing a panelized timber frame approach. So um, York's got a really rich history of delivering high quality, pioneering social housing. And we wanted to continue that journey with the work that we were doing. Um, we thought it was really important to reflect the, the context and the history of the city. And design is a really important element of what we do. Um, speed of construction was really important to minimize uh, disruption for local residents. Um, as I said, embodied carbon is really important to, to how we want to work across the city. Um, and we're really keen to achieve passive house certification. Um, you can achieve passive house without using timber frame, but the design team that we were using had the most experience of delivering passive house down that route. So it seemed like the lowest risk approach for us. Um, but depending on what your your personal objectives are, this rag rating will change, but this is, this is what felt right for, for us as a city. Um, I'm just going to briefly talk about some of the barriers or the perceived barriers to utilizing timber frame and then what our reality was. So we do mixed tenure, so we have some shared ownership, we have some market sale in with our social rent. There were some concerns about buyer demand, about house values. All of the soft market testing we've done with estate agents and buyers has not indicated any issue. Um, similarly, warranties, we had to do a little bit more upfront work in terms of um, obtaining the warranty necessary, but that's not been a, a major challenge. You still hear me? Yep, sorry. Um, now we have the, the warranty in place. We're not perceiving any issue with mortgage availability. There's growing mortgages for people who are choosing to buy greenhouses, so we hope that our buyers will benefit from, from those reduced mortgage rates. Um, contractor confidence was a, was a, a concern and a risk, um, quickly eliminated. Um, as you've probably heard, lots, there's lots of timber frame houses being built across the country. I think about 25% of, 
all homes delivered a timber frame, so that's not been a challenge. Um, the timber frame supplier market has been slightly more challenging because the standard that we're building to with certified passive house, there aren't many timber frame suppliers at the moment that can deliver passive house at scale. Um, so the market's been relatively small in that area. So just very briefly, just want to um, talk about a couple of the projects that are currently on site. So this is Duncan Barracks, which started um, last summer. Um, 34 certified passive house homes. The development will be net zero carbon in operation. 60% affordable housing due to complete in spring next year. Um, this is Burn Home. Again, construction underway, 83 homes. Same standards as Duncan Barracks. And I'm hoping the, Im the images kind of demonstrate what I was talking about earlier about our desire for um, holistic sustainability around um, connection between um, residents and, and wild spaces and the importance of design within, within a York context and the, the flexibility that a panelized system has provided us through the design process. And then just quickly to finish, if anyone wants any more information, I'll be around for the rest of the day. We have a page on the council website and um, any geeks out there who want to watch the timber frame go up, we have a, um, a time-lapse camera set up for Duncan Barracks if anyone wants to watch it day by day uh, get developed. Thank you very much. Tom, I think you're up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good, good afternoon, everyone. Um, nice to see you all here. Um, so yes, uh, thanks uh, for the introduction as well. Um, so just to briefly reprise, I'm uh, Tom Westwood. I've recently completed a, a role as Senior Development Manager at Bristol City Council, uh, and that was focused on a team building new uh, council housing uh, in the city. Um, it's part of, it was part of a big push across the city to build uh, many more homes in Bristol. Um, Bristol, by, by percentage, uh, over the last 10 years has been the, the, the fastest growing uh, population city in, in England. So uh, real huge demand there. Uh, and on the back of that, the, the council um, has c committed to try and get 2,000 homes, new homes a year um, built in the city uh, uh, going forward year by year. Um, so that's a huge, a huge effort, but obviously working with developers, working with housing associations across all sectors to do that. Um, within that 2,000 homes, uh, they want half of them, 1,000 homes a year, to be affordable. Um, and within that, um, 300 homes for, to be directly for the council, um, so as largely as new council homes, so social rented homes. Um, and that was, the, that was the team I was working in, um, and uh, that program's still ongoing. And about half of those homes were directly commissioned. So uh, we were employing design teams and contractors to build them for the council. And with the other half, we were uh, essentially acting in a similar way to a housing association and uh, acquiring homes from, uh, from developers who were delivering affordable housing as part of their schemes. So, so it's a, a mixed approach. So what I just want to do this, uh, now is just show a few of the schemes that, we, uh, that I worked on, which are uh, use timber uh, structures um, and then talk a bit about um, what what the future might mean uh, for more adoption in the city. Um, so four schemes I'm going to touch on. Um, uh, 
the smaller one first. So um, this is a scheme, uh, 12 uh, homes. These are one-bedroom, one-person homes, so um, quite compact homes. Um, and there are, the, the council doesn't deliver many of these types of homes, but they do find them very useful as move-on accommodation. So for people who've previously been homeless, um, looking for their first home, um, it's, it's a very useful um, scale, very uh, uh, popular with, with people in that situation, and, and they can then move on to a more permanent home. That particular size of home, so around about 38 square meters, um, was really suitable for to be delivered as a, a single module um, in, in a, with modular construction. So as a result of that, yeah, we, we decided to uh, go, with a, go with a modular approach for this scheme. Um, so yeah, a very straightforward scheme in essence with, with 12 homes um, stacked up two stories high. Um, this, uh, this project uses uh, the, the principal um, structure is actually light gauge steel for the, for, the, for the main frame of the module, but then it uses timber for all the secondary structure and also uses um, wood fiber insulation on the, on the wall, in the wall panels as well. Um, so uh, as I go through the presentation, there'll be different approaches, but that was the, that's the uh, extent of timber in, in these modules. Um, the second scheme, so 16 homes. This is a slightly more suburban location, mixture of, of houses and a small apartment block. Um, so this uses uh, perhaps a more traditional timber frame approach. Um, principal reasons for that, the, as you can see in the little key plan, the, the houses are on a, a, on a slight crescent. Um, perhaps we thought slightly less appropriate to, uh, to using a, a modular system um, for that reason. Um, and yeah, they're the low rise. Uh, the, the, the overall construction is not particularly uh, complex. <coughs> so yeah, a timber, a timber frame approach uh, seemed appropriate for, for, for this scheme. Um, so this is, the, this is the terrace of houses here um, and, and the small apartment block at the back of the site. Um, like all the schemes I'll show you today, um, the, the, the Bristol City Council projects for, for our own housing tend to be on brownfield sites. Um, the, um, any other developers in the room, I'm sure you'd be very jealous of this, but l land isn't really a problem for, uh, for, for the local authority. They've got quite a lot of land in Bristol. Uh, it's more uh, uh, deciding how they're going to manage their, uh, you know, their portfolio of land, whether they want to sell sites, what, what are the best uses in the best locations. So um, this site was actually a, a redundant uh, church Hall that yeah fell out, fell out of use so and and really didn't maximise the site at all so this really en enabled the site to be much more efficiently used. Um, this third scheme so slightly larger again um, again a mixture of, of houses and flats um, similarly to the last project this uh, the, this terrace of, of of tenement style flats along the along the main road it is on a slight curve following the line of the road um, and the. The geometry there, again, we took the view wasn't so appropriate to, uh, to a modular construction. Um, so again, have gone with a, a timber frame. Um, and to, due to the efficiencies of that project, rolled, rolled that timber frame through to the, uh, to the houses at the, at the back of the site as well. Um, so those, those houses at the back of the site sit around uh, a nice landscaped area, uh, which also deals with uh, car parking required um, and uh, suds drainage on site and so on. So, uh, and again, this was an old uh, garage site um, that, that the council had um, had rented out to a, to another a commercial 
outfit for, for a number of years. But yeah, a, a, much, a much better use of that site long term. Um, finally, um, a bigger scheme again. So this, this is one of the schemes where the council acquired homes from, from a developer. Um, so this has been developed by Booklook, who are um, a partnership between Skanska and IKEA, um, who've developed their own timber modular uh, construction system. Um, so the C Bristol City Council was acquiring just less than half of the, of the homes in, in this scheme, so 79 homes, but there were yeah, over 170 homes in the whole scheme. The rest, uh, Booklock was selling off mostly as, as market homes. Um, and in this scheme, also a first for Bristol, um, were some shared ownership homes. So um, Bristol decided to offer, uh, offer shared ownership um, as, as part of a mix of, of affordable housing going forward. Um, so these, these are, say, our, our timber frame modular, so, um, but using, using timber for the full structure of the modules. Um, and four-story high apartment blocks, uh, and then at the, uh, on other parts of the site, two-story uh, houses. Um, the houses use slightly oversized width modules to, to, to get a good width on, on the houses. Um, obviously, with uh, some challenges that that brings for transport and so on, but... Um, but the site generally is big enough that for uh, both the apartments and the houses, the, uh, there was enough room to, to, to facet and stagger and, and space out modules so that uh, you, weren't, you, you were still able to work with the geometry without uh, losing too much efficiency. Um, so going forward, what, what does it mean? So this is, this is not, certainly not all the projects uh, that, we, that we were working on in the team. So there were a mix of construction types being used. Um, but Bristol is a generally a relatively low-rise city, um, and, and the council tends not to build in the city centre, uh, new council homes in the city centre anyway. So timber as a, is certainly a very appropriate construction type for the, the majority of, that, of the new housing projects. Um, and also, I think one big uh, game-changer will be that the, the planning policy in Bristol is currently being uh, revised uh, with a new policy coming out next year, next summer. Uh, and that is planned to have um, embodied carbon targets in the planning policy. So, so that will, I think, be a, be a big step change. Um, so, so timber hasn't, been a, hasn't really been a hurdle, particularly to date, but equally hasn't necessarily been, uh, been really pushed. But yeah, I certainly sense that uh, there will be a, a, another really strong driver um, from, from next summer. So yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. Good afternoon, everybody. Okay, it's getting warm in here, so let's liven you up a little bit, yeah? Right, quick show of hands from your point of view. How many architects in the audience? How many, oh, good, okay, great. How many engineers? Good, okay, so good technical representation. How many RPs, affordable housing providers? Two, not so great when it's at all on social housing. Okay, but either way. My name's Simon Horn from Donaldson Timber Systems. We are a timber frame off-site manufacturing provider, MMC, using timber. So stop the press, okay? Trees grow naturally, yeah? You can see in the image behind me, where do they come from? Sweden for us. Homegrown timbers, not to that structural quality yet, not without the cost. And of course, we need to be commercially minded all the way through. So it comes from Sweden for us. 
it is the only truly renewable structural framing material out there. Everything else, we harvest minerals out the ground, we set fire to it in the way of steel, produce concrete, masonry, we produce that sort of structural framing material using minerals. This stuff grows naturally, okay? Challenges, the challenges, CO2 emissions, CO2 emissions from the construction industry during the construction phase, 10%. Construction industry, wider industry, 45% on emissions. And then the, the, the other challenge is to build new homes more positively with regard to their energy consumption and their energy performance. We've got standards coming, future home standard is certainly the, the most uh, obvious one that is coming at us rapidly. Uh, our actions, lower the carbon footprint. We're gonna hear a load about carbon. You've already heard it several times. Help customers build sustainably, help their understanding, the transition from building in masonry, which we've done for long enough. Let's stop building with archaic methods. Let's start embracing new methods. And reducing homeowners' energy dependence, if you like. In other words, less energy to heat the property, the property retains the heat for longer. How do we do it? A fabric first approach, yeah? Spend the money in that external envelope that delivers that performance, that thermal performance, using a timber frame system. You hear a lot about passive house as well. Passive house is not the silver bullet to the construction industry because it's not got the scale yet. It is a very strong solution and a very positive solution, but it hasn't got the same scale that, that the standard timber frame industry has got. The passive house standards are very high as well, but then to go with it, so is the cost. What we've got with a panelized system is we can achieve, as you can see highlighted in yellow on the screen, we're close to those performance standards using our closed panel systems, but without the cost. Certainly with the RPs, okay, two gentlemen put their hands up with regard to RPs and affordable providers. Assurance, insurance, performance, longevity. You're gonna say it performs. Where's your third party body accreditation to say it does perform? That's the left hand side. BBA certificates, BOPAS accreditation, and NHBC accepts. It's a recognized and accepted form of construction. I said about the fabric first approach. There's your fabric first approach. The one on the right hand side, that's your timber frame. The one on the left hand side is what we've done for long enough. And that's why we are generating CO2 emissions. And that's why outside you have got climate change. Carbon, carbon, carbon. Or in other words, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what do we mean about carbon? So we've got two states of carbon. You've got embodied carbon and sequestered carbon. Embodied carbon is effectively that footprint. That's what this show's called. That's the footprint we lay down. We measure the embodied carbon. We've developed up a calculator so that we can give a carbon calculation back on the, the designs that we are producing. Cradle to completion is within our carbon calculator, and then cradle to grave. The bit that's grayed out is the in-service, because the demographic, demographic of the occupation, no two occupations are gonna be the same. Professionals out working all day versus a family with young children. They're gonna use the property differently. So what we didn't do within our carbon calculator, and we excluded it, was the in-service part. But cradle to completion of the construction phase, all of that is measurable. Post-occupation, 
and the demolition stage, the end of life, that life cycle 60%, sorry, 60 year life cycle assessment, that's the bit where we went to industry standards and industry documents to get that. So we can give it. But the benefit for us, the benefit for us is the sequestered carbon. Each one of these is a mini carbon hub, okay? It takes in carbon from the atmosphere through photosynthesis as it grows, and remember, it grows naturally, takes it in from the atmosphere and it stores it within the side, within the tree. When the tree is felled and machined, it doesn't then lose the carbon, okay? It holds it within it. It is, timber is truly a carbon hub, okay? You can see from the graphics, our carbon calculator that we've developed, the impacts of it through the cradle to completion, but then when we add in sequestration, so that sucking in of carbon as the tree grows, when we add in sequestration, we end up with a negative value. Cradle to grave, because you've then got the demolition end of life cycle phase, you then have a lower footprint. But timber frame and the use of timber is a positive situation, and it, whereas that, where, where the negative is actually a positive outcome, as in it's a negative impact. Pre-manufactured value. So off-site manufacture, we've got labor challenges uh, on building sites, etc. Off-site manufacture is exactly that. We're producing components and then take the components to site. So the assembly is a panelized system. The volumetric modular stuff, that's your 3D boxes, with a 2D panelized system. So you can see wall panels, floor cassettes, roof components going in to assemble the building on site. That will reduce the construction phase by about 30%. So a benefit in the program, delivering homes quicker and occupations quicker. With the finance side of things, Homes England. Homes England, you demonstrate a 55% PMV, PMV pre-manufactured value, by using off-site manufactured products, not just timber frame, but then you like your ground floor insulated floor systems that are available to you. You combine these together and get to a threshold of 55%. That's Willy Wonka's golden ticket. Because Homes England, they're going to release extra funding to you in order to do that, okay? So if you're worried about the cost of it, there's an offset there, certainly on Homes England-led developments. I said about the quality, I said about assurance, that, that reassurance that this thing is going to keep performing for that 60-year life cycle. So across the top there, BBA certification, BOPAS Plus, we went for... 60 years, two, deemed as two mortgage life cycles when it was uh, in the private world, but we went for 60 years on our BOPAS accreditation, and that's backed by BLP, Building Life Plans Insurance, and then we also went for NHB Accept. So those, to two, th those top four, they're in the facility, because we've got it for design, manufacture, and out on site. They're in and out of the facility, making sure that we do that expression. We do what it says on the tin, okay? A couple of case studies. So a deemed net zero carbon project, uh, A2 Dominion was the client. Uh, Wilmot Dixon, who are here at this event, uh, they were the contractor. Uh, rural Oxfordshire in Bicester, or what's classed as rural Oxfordshire. 94 houses using that closed panel system. And it is still architecturally, it's good street scenes, good placemaking, good usage of materials. But what's missing? Bricks. Okay, there's very few bricks on that project. You've got timber cladding, you've got render on it. You can see the performance standards on the right-hand side. We've all got these in our communities, yeah? Garages on block. 
They're becoming, you know, attractions for unwanted attention. So regenerating these, and particularly there's a lot of local authorities that are looking at development programs to upgrade these. So there's an example of it. You've got five garages on block turned into nice, attractive looking housing using an MMC timber frame panelized system. Hopefully, we'll get the chance and one day all homes will be built this way. Thanks very much. Great, thank you guys for those uh, presentations. I think uh, probably given who's in the audience, one of the main questions for me, and I know it was an issue that we had perhaps early days, Michael, in York, um, is how important early engagement from timber frame suppliers is. And I wonder, Simon, if you answer that first in terms of under what procurement routes you've been able to engage with design teams early on in the design process? Early engagement is a key thing. Early engagement is enabling true value engineering, okay? So value engineering for the QSs and the commercial people in the room, value engineering is not get your price down, okay? That is not value engineering. Value engineering is talk to, talking to us early, so for the, all the architects, the majority of which the hands went up, stage two, stage three. Don't wait till you are at stage four, because you've lost the opportunity to influence the design with the best structural solution versus that architectural design versus the performance requirement that's needed. So talk to us about stage two, stage three. That's when you'll get the benefit of value engineering, looking at the designs. How then to procure it, dynamic purchasing systems, certainly from local authorities and affordable housing providers, that the risk is, you know, where does the risk sit, basically, if they nominate us, if they, if they appoint us to a project. Using a DPS platform, they can come through because we're already approved, the due diligence has already been done on those providers that are within that DPS framework. So DPS is certainly for the local authorities and affordable providers, that's the best vehicle uh, to procure through. How have you guys sort of done that in your projects? I think you've both done it slightly differently in the past. Maybe Michael, you start with how it's worked with York and then maybe Tom for Bristol. Yeah. Um so early engagement is key, um, as discussed. So um, we felt it was important, given the fact that our standards were certified passive house, that we particularly engaged with the market early. We're aware that contractors may be slightly nervous at delivering to that standard. So we wanted to make sure that in the tender pack that we sent out, that we provided the answers, the comfort um, around buildability. Um, so we engaged um, through a waiver with a timber frame supplier who could deliver Passive House as part of the design stage and we included that information in the tender pack for the main contractor but we allowed the main contractor to procure whichever timber frame subcontractor they chose to do. It just happens that there's not too many at the moment. Um, so there was quite a lot of consistency between who we engaged with early and then who, who delivered the, the, the contract on behalf of our main building contractor. Yeah, from Bristol's perspective, we've definitely tried two different approaches. One to, uh, one to work with a particular supplier from early on and, and negotiate uh, a contract, uh, and another one to, to develop a design that could be, could be tendered. Um, we've found the latter approach more successful uh, in uh, over the last few years, um, the challenge the challenge 
with the, with the former approach where we've, where we've gone with one supplier and negotiated has been partly, we all know across the construction industry over the last few years, costs uh, have escalated enormously. Um, and that I think tied into uh, individual projects being relatively small has just put a lot of cost pressure on, on that negotiation. And, and in some cases we've had to, we've had to actually pull out and, and re-tender. So, so I think at the moment that uh, a design that could be provided by a number of people and therefore tendered is, is probably the best approach. But that said, um, Gorham Homes, who um, people may or may not have heard of, which is Bristol City Council's arm's length um, housing provider that provides, uh, delivers market homes as well. Their, one of their schemes is, is a very large scheme with over a thousand homes. And, and on that scale, I think they are going to engage more actively um, with, a, with a, for, at least for some of the homes with a, neg a negotiated contract with a, a modular supplier because the, the scales may be there to, to make that negotiation uh, a bit more uh, even-handed maybe, so yeah. Because it seems like scale and performance are the issue really, and I know that Michael found this with York. So we've got many timber frame suppliers, um, and as our building should be targeting minimum heat loss and maximum air tightness, I think there is still a struggle to find the sort of timber frame uh, suppliers that can guarantee levels like, uh, you know, an air tightness of passive house, which is 0 0.6. Is the industry, do you find Simon, moving towards that way? And what can we do to sort of push the industry for better performance? Yes, we can move it forwards despite what I said in the presentation about a fabric first approach, I also then said about quality and assurance and, and, and that performance being achieved. So what we do when, when the specification is moved up even further, it's then the testing of it on site. So uh, with regard to the air tightness testing, for example, it should be a three stage test, okay? There should be a stage test for the timber frame going in and that should achieve the performance that's needed. Then there should be a stage test for the, after the M&E installation because it'll end up like a piece of Swiss cheese, okay? Full of holes. And then there's the last one, it's the in-service test or as it gets to be in service, there should be a test there as well to make sure that that performance is still being achieved all the way through. Detailing is, is paramount. So for all the architects in there, the construction detailing, the junctions, you know, we've got it well documented already with accredited construction details. But those 15 locations around the building that were identified as standard ones, you, we need to consider how those all come together. Walls, floors, walls, roofs on the top. That construction detail is paramount for protecting that airtightness performance. Yep. And I think perhaps the larger scale sort of timber frame suppliers, there's a lot of work in house building for them that perhaps at the moment would you say it's fair that they don't need to push to reach those sort of really high targets and it's up to the sort of, we find local authorities are the people that are pushing the, how, you know, the sustainable targets the most. Um, and is it up to them to increase the sort of workflow of those yes. really highly sustainable yeah, buildings? The, the local authorities, housing associations, so affordable providers, generally are the ones that are pushing for it. Uh, the private sector, no disrespect to the private sector, but you think every penny's a prison, every pound's a prisoner. In the private sector, every penny's a prisoner, right? They're PLCs. Um, but in the affordable sector, it is, yeah, it's more about pushing off-site construction for the other benefits that the off-site construction using timber frame delivers. 
So for affordable providers, we've then just built an asset. We said about 60-year life cycle, but that asset is going to pass from homeowner to occupier to occupier and going to have moving on tenancies. You need to protect the performance of that building. So in the first instance, when it's first constructed, raise the performance level as high as it can be to protect it and give it some longevity of maintaining that performance over that deemed 60-year life cycle. It'll last longer than that. We've been building out of timber since the 15th century, okay? This is nothing new. Modern methods of technology, yeah, we're doing it slightly more modern, but timber's been around for an awful long time, you know? So, on from that, Michael, you've sort of used Passive House as a developer that's going to retain some of its stock to make sure that you have the built quality that you are paying for. We've had a question from the uh, audience from an anonymous person mm. but who asks, was there a cost mm. premium by building certified Passive House standard? And did these homes cost more, do these homes cost more to rent slash buy as a result? Um, yes, there's a cost premium associated with certified Passive House. Um, the Passive House Trust quote about 5 to 8% on a typical project. Um, I can't tell you what it was for us because we tendered a Passive House project, so knowing what it would have been without Passive House, I can't tell you. Um, but we believe it's a good value option. Um, in previous development roles, um, we've paid for a high-performance um, green home. Um, when it was complete, it didn't meet the modelled targets, so we'd paid for good quality components, but the workmanship had meant that the homes didn't meet the standards that we were setting out to achieve, that our customers expected. So lots of reputational issues, lots of retrofit works, lots of kind of snagging um, type work. So I'm a big believer of Passive House in terms of you get what you pay for. There's a bit of a premium, but when you're interested in the long-term value of the property, it's been tested, the components are good quality, you know that you've got an asset that will last a long time. To give you a bit of an indication, the two projects I presented, the smaller one is construction cost about £2,900 per square metre, the larger one is £2,700 per square metre. We're expecting the sale homes to have a premium of maybe about 10% to reflect the fact that the homes will be really high quality, they're national space standards, they're certified, your fuel bills will be low, so you are buying a better product, so the value will, will go up. In terms of the rent, it won't make any difference because they are um, council houses, we will rent them out as per a, a, a social rent as we do across our stock. Thank you. Um, I'll go on to another question from the audience, uh, probably to Tom and Michael again. Have you encountered issues with durability concerns in these developments. This, along with fire, has been raised as a major concern by local authority clients previously. Um, on, dur on durability, uh, no. Um, the, I think the, uh, most of the methods, where, we, where we're using traditional timber frame, um, I think the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quite a familiar technology for, for contractors. They, they know how to they know how to deal with it. They know how to manage rainwater. You know, they, they, they know how to uh, construct it in, in, in standard ways. Um, and then with the modular contractors, um, they, because they are, uh, you know, they're, they're in control of the whole product, um, partly, uh, you know, through, through its pre-manufactured part, um, but also because they're, 
because they're responsible for the whole process, we find they're very careful with installation and so on. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say we found durability issues. Fire, again, no, not really to date. I mean, I think that's probably partly because of the low-rise, the largely low-rise nature of the schemes in Bristol. So I know that won't apply to uh, to every context. Um, I th think you know, inevitably, the higher you go, I think the more the more questions there tend to be uh, around around fire. Um, but yeah, that's that's not to say you, you you don't have concerns generally. I mean, we. We've seen what's happened in London with the GLA, um, actually, you know, not, not funding um, uh, timber construction, housing of, of any height. So, uh, so there's definitely a, that, that kind of risk um, uh, out, out there in the market of, of general nervousness. But I think, as ever, it's, it's really about education and making sure all of us in the room who are advising um, clients uh, and so on, you know, really make sure they've got the, enough information to, um, to satisfy themselves that a, it's, 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 you know, what's being proposed is, is within the regulations and B, other uh, associated risks like insurance are, are, are manageable. And, you know, there have been some really good documents. I think there was a presentation here yesterday on the, on the timber insurance um, playbook, which has just come out, which is a, you know, a great document which really seeks to, uh, to, to show clients how to, uh, how, how to deal with any concerns they might have in that area. Yeah. Yeah. So just briefly for me, so the fire compartmentalization of our properties are just as robust as a traditional build, so no concerns. Like Bristol, we're a low-rise city, so that's maybe made it a little bit more um, straightforward. Um, the homes aren't occupied yet, so I can't really comment on uh, long-term robustness beyond um, looking at previous schemes. So. Goldsmith Street, which is obviously more recent, which was a timber frame passive house where there's been no concerns raised. And then long term, all the evidence, for, again, from the Passive House Trust is that passive houses continue to perform really well decades after they were completed. So all the evidence so far would, would indicate that they're, they're just as robust and they'll perform well for decades to come. Great, thank you. Can I chip in as well? Yeah, go for it. You're not gonna, I'm not going to keep quiet, am I? Let's face it. Um, right, so Part B of the building regulations. Doesn't say Part B of the building regulations for timber frame construction, Part B of the building regulations for masonry construction, and Part B of the building regulations for masonry or concrete. It says Part B of the building regulations for fire safety. So we have to adhere to that as well. That threshold of 18 metres being reduced to 11 metres for combustible material within the external walls. Yet yeah, we're a combustible material, but timber does not self-combust, okay? It takes everything to get a fire going, but yes, it is a combustible material. So we have the systems in place to build safely, firstly, and then in occupation. Again, there are two very defined states, during construction and in occupation. And in occupation is the building designer, travel distances, means of escape routes, escape windows, fire performance of walls, during construction is a different fire state that we look at. But we've got those systems and specifications in place to achieve the 60 minutes, the 30 minutes, or the 120 minute requirements that are out there. I think just following on from that lastly as well, because um, there's been a couple of questions about fire. Uh, we've said that obviously the updated building regulations um, restricts timber, structural timber, and anything more than 11 metres. However, the GLA, Affordable Housing Fund, bans combustible uh, materials in walls full stop. So 
if it's GLA funded in London, you cannot build a single story timber uh, bungalow. Uh, I saw that there was a recent mayor's question chimes in March where he was asked to, to defend this total ban. And he responded saying, there is currently insufficient independent advice about the safety of timber as a construction product. And, but he welcomed steps taken by the timber industry to build an evidence-based support to use this. I suppose my last question, probably to you, Simon, again, is what is the timber construction industry doing to provide this information so that these, these uh, restrictions can perhaps be relaxed? Okay, so there's a couple of bodies, uh, associations, accredited bodies that, that we dovetail into, okay? Uh, one is uh, Timber Development UK, who have uh, got their own stand around there. And then there's also the Structural Timber Association. So the Structural Timber Association, they've developed up a range of wall panel types and product types that are therefore all tried and tested so that you can go to that pattern book of wall types and you know that you've got a specification there that will achieve the different performance requirements that, that are needed. Um, what we are doing as a business as well, so BS8414 tests, so behind closed doors, a whole wall construction building fire test to, to demonstrate that it performs against those requirements and those regulations. So not just a spread of flame test, an actual building fire test, uh, like I say, BS8414. So we can give the assurance to housing providers, whether it's private or affordable, that this building is fit for purpose and will deliver the performance required. I think we have to call it a day there. It's one o'clock. Um, I think the takeaway from this is that it's possible for architects, developers, engineers, uh, clients. You've just got to set up a process from the early stages, I think, that just forms your argument, looks at you know, the obstructions and finds sort of ways through them across multiple disciplines, probably. So thank you very much. Thank you. Um, that's it for now. Thank you for sitting through the chat. Mm -hmm.